your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Ryan. Unfortunately, no Alex today as we recap Everton's loss in the Merseyside Derby 2-0 at Anfield to Liverpool. This was a weird one because, of course, Liverpool coming in basically rock bottom of the form, form table without a win this year in 2023. Everton, of course, flying rather high after that win last weekend against top of the table Arsenal. But a win in the Derby was not to be as Everton sort of, I guess, came crashing back to reality. And I think this was very much a gut check, reality check for a lot of supporters who thought, okay, Dice has come in. We're going to do a complete 180 and cruise to safety. Uh, It was definitely not the case today. We will break it down in much detail. Before we do that, just a reminder that if you enjoy the pod, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. That helps us out a ton. Um, if you want to follow us on social media, you can find all of our links at linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. And you should definitely also join our Discord, great community, invite.gg slash ATP. You can find all of those links in the description of this episode. All right. If we must talk about this, Ryan, we must talk about this match. Let's get into it with instant match reactions. I went first. I went with Ed Murray at Edom Hokey who said, with no DCL, it went as expected. Needed to be near perfect and super lucky for a result. Want to see how the dice system works for the next two two before drawing conclusions, but I doubt any coach can overcome no DCL and our lack of attacking depth. Agree with most of that. I mean, I don't think we needed to be near perfect to, to beat this Liverpool team, but we definitely needed a much improved performance and probably needed to not concede first to get anything from that. And we very much did not get any luck going our way. So uh, good take from Ed. And I agreed with it. What about you, Ryan? The only counter I'd say is any coach can overcome. Well, you should try. Uh, yes. <laughs> very true. Counter. Um, so, and again, it's not like I said, last episode that I just like the name Clyde. Uh, I went with at C Verdon 34. He's a junior too, man. I don't blame him, man. If I'm like, I'm named Clyde and you grow up named Clyde. Of course you're going to name your kid. Clyde. It's a sweet name. <laughs> No I'm doubt. jealous, man. It was also my favorite um, Pac-Man ghost monster, for sure. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> anyway, well, because they're all like inky, blinky, pinky, and then Clyde. I'm like, what? Clyde? He's the cool one. Yeah, he is. He's different. Um, I'll get to his actual tweet here. Um, yes, three from two against Arsenal and them is fine, but this performance was mid as H-E double hockey sticks. Uh, timid and ineffectual afraid to play forward and when we did we coughed up the ball at slight hint of a press from the opposition have to be better in every facet saturday so i hate this i'm afraid to play forward uh, idea no one's afraid to do any like fear it's not a fear thing you know sometimes it's just being smart um in this instance the issue is pressure really you know and that that's what i liked about this tweet i mean we really struggled dealing with pressure we couldn't hold the ball up and once the target option went away how do we do get around it? And too often it was it was passive. And what I mean by that is the best way to deal with pressure is the quick pass back and run forward. You know what I mean? Um, that's how teams rip it up. They've got to play fast, play quickly, lots of one touch. And man, I mean, I could count on one hand at least the amount of times where I saw us um, kind of ha- play a ball in the space and someone just kind of stopped or was waiting for the ball to be 
played back to them safely. So we just lacked identity, I think, a bit today, too. Uh, that was part of it. And that's kind of what I thought this tweet channeled and why I went with it. Yeah, it's a good one and, and agreed. It just looked it, it and it does give off the appearance of being timid when you're not playing, you know, compare, especially compared to what we saw last week against Arsenal, where we were kind of very aggressively trying to play forward almost all of the time. And then you kind of pick your spots to be a little more conservative. Um, but we'll get into obviously all of that in the timeline and in the stats. They, they kind of bear that out. As far as score predictions go, we had uh, three correct a lot more. All, it's amazing how one win last week changed. We had so many people predict a win. It was kind of crazy, but we did have three predict the loss. We had EFC Jonesy, who gets partial credit because he predicted a Liverpool win, but did not correctly or did not predict a score at all. He was said he was afraid to predict a score. Wait, what? He, <laughs> How do you give him credit for that? I, I said kind of in the notes. He gets kind of credit. He, he predicted the winner. He did not predict. How score. hard is that? That's like, you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean look, big, I'm going to give him I'm just going to give him credit. Give him the shout out. I do not, Jonesy. I just want you to know that I do not give you credit. All right. Duly noted. We also had TJ Bureau, and then the pick of the day was Wobby or Wobby six. Two nil bad guys. Cody is going to prove costly. He did indeed prove costly, and we will touch on that shortly. But but before we do that, Ryan, let's wind it back. Let's hit the lineups, starting with the Reds across the park. As much as I don't want to talk about them. Um they were lined up with the four three three. They, you know, the one thing Klopp has been criticized about, and I think it's fair, um, his team set up almost the exact same spaces on the pitch too often. And so in this instance, though, they had some changes in midfield. Um, uh, Bajadic came in. Uh, he was already in, so it was kind of ironic that he was the one guy that stayed uh, the carryover from last match. And by the way, it makes no sense. He's Serbian, so, but he grew up in Vigo, Spain, and then he moved from academies to Liverpool. Like, how does that? Anyway, um, his dad, Journeyman, was, his dad is a player for Celta Vigo. That's why. But anyway, um, yeah. So I guess Henderson came in with Fabinho. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, man, that is very negative. You know, those guys are both kind of defensive oriented players. Henderson's not a defense oriented player, but he's not got the pace. And really, he's just not as effective as he used to be. And you knew he'd be sitting there in that right half space advanced, combining with Salah and Trent to try and get wide. Um and look, Virgil van Dyke was on the bench. Um, he left the bench at one point, started shoving our players. It'd be nice if the Premier League looked at that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, thank God I didn't get too close to Pickford. You know, it could happen. Uh, anyway, the point is that you knew Matt Tip's good in the air. So knowing that, and we'll get to, I don't want to spoil the lineup for you, knowing that we might struggle without Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He was the guy you wanted to avoid. So if Virgil van Dyke was in there with him. It probably would have been even worse. So um Gomez came in for him and you thought, all right, he's not the biggest guy. He's not the greatest in the air. Maybe that's a matchup opportunity, but, but we just didn't have the tools necessarily to take advantage of it. Um, I was surprised at this inclusion of the lineup and we'll get to the tactical in a second. I don't know if you were a little bit. Yeah. And I think your tweet <laughs> quoting the lineup was just yikes when you saw that Sims was included. And that was really, that was the only change. So we kept the same team. He swaps. Dominic Calvert-Lewin for Ellis Sims. And he's an all right player, James, too. I, I didn't mean like the yikes didn't mean, oh, my yeah. God, he's terrible. Now, I don't think he's Premier League level yet. I just my concern was that I think you were going to play him. If you played him in a similar way to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he's not that similar a player. And I yeah. think people just see a big body. And that was my concern. I, I think you're 
you're not putting him in position to succeed. I was hoping he might do something a little different with him. Um, we'll get to the tactics in a second. He really didn't, though. Yeah, and and that's the big change, right? And you wonder, okay, well, you make one change to this team that last week was very dependent on Dominic Calvert-Lewin's aerial ability and those long balls. So how dramatic of a tactical shift can you expect? Sean Dice just talked a lot in interviews about how he's willing to adapt to bring out the best in individuals. And then he does, you know, brings in the 6'3 kid who has four Premier League starts to his name um, and expects him largely to perform a very similar role to what Dom has been able to do. And that just didn't really work as we all saw it. And, and, and to your, just want to echo your point, Ryan, like this is not to say we hate Ellis Sims. He send him back to Sunderland, blah, 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 blah. It's just being realistic about yeah. what he is as a player and what he is is not an aerial threat necessarily yeah. and look we i've talked to a lot of scouts about this kid too um he's got some other issues too you know his feet are a little bit slow my, my actually probably bigger concern was the defensive aspect of it he's not that quick i mean he's not so once he gets going his top end pace is not that bad but he's just not that shifty and he's not that great his instincts in the press aren't the best you know what i mean so he's not going to create a lot of havoc and, and cause turnovers and it takes a while for people to be positionally aware and really work together to build chemistry to to you know dice really likes using those two guys now we were playing four five one this time again um but he likes pressing up two guys up top to make it hard to kind of outlet the ball now liverpool were just firing the ball forward and almost bypassing the midfield much like we were so i mean this game at one point was just it felt like a tennis match ping pong ping pong ping pong yeah it felt that way right i mean it felt like your just neck was i just did it and killed the (laughs) recording of it why would i do that anyway (laughs) ow then i just hit my finger on the desk i'm falling apart here uh (laughs) yeah so um but look we saw a setup very similar to last week the only thing i saw that i thought was a little bit different is I saw a little more aggression from McNeil, at least in the wings, going out at the fullbacks. And I don't know if that was a conscience idea to to man mark them in a way. I, I think the problem is that when Liverpool turned it into a more vertical game, the second we pressured, they sent it up. Now you're moving and they're trying to hit us on the break. And we don't have the ability to contain them wide and get the double teams out on Nunez, who was playing left wing and Gakpo down the middle. Now, personally, I, I hate that. I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever to play them that way with one exception if you're going to do and get on the break Nunez is deadly direct and Salah we've seen is very good on the break so in that instance I can see Gakpo down the middle but if you pack it in against them I don't think that works at all really and um, if you can just in fact I always thought we looked better when we just kicked the ball back to them in all honesty Um, but yeah you saw you saw Sims trying to shade to to their to Gomez's side, um, who was still bullying him, and they were getting very aggressive with him, and Matip was sometimes coming all the way over to deal with him, and maybe a foul call or two would have been nice. Um, but while Sims was getting his head on stuff, and you look at the stats, it looks like he won a bunch of aerials. Every single one of them went to Liverpool anyway. Yeah. So, And I, I think there's a different measure of aerial win rates uh, in some other places. I can't remember what Scout uses, but they've got at least a measure that that measures the stats of whether you actually win the ball or not. And, right. And it was just basically give them them the ball. And I think Pickford had like 25 long balls and only 10 of them were completed. So that, that says it all. It, it just wasn't going to work. He's not that type of player. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, early they were stretching us out, but it was almost like blind from Liverpool. They'd get the ball and just fire it to the left side immediately and, and run at Coleman when they were slower and kind of isolated more and were a little more methodical, they fired it over to the right side. And you saw Sala basically trying to go at Mikalenko. And 
when Henderson drops in there, suddenly he's occupying Onana and McNeil has to make a decision to deal with the overlapping Trent Alexander Arnold. So it did, unfortunately, unlike last week where Arsenal were slow at reversing the ball, were more methodical and more predictable, which is odd for an Arteta side to be that way, but they were. Uh, Liverpool were different and they did some of the things that we talked about after the pod, how they could have exploited it. Well, they did exploit it and um, it made it tough for us. And that's, that's the name of the game. You know, if, if we get in one V one matchups out wide and, and Andy has a quote about it later that we'll talk about, you're usually in trouble. And, and we just lack the outlet, right, James? Yeah, exactly. It, it really is that simple, right? If it, in Ellis Sims early on, I was slightly encouraged because he was getting up for stuff. But as you said, as it wore on, it was over and over again. Okay, you might flick it on and just flick it to like, you know, Allison or their back line. And it's very easy, very comfortable. But he was also extremely isolated. We have the pass map here. It's clear. Really, it's the only pass that the only passing lane is Pickford to Sims. That, and neither of our wingers were able to connect with him regularly. Dwight McNeil was forming triangles on the left-hand side. And we'll talk about him more later. But... I mean, maybe more coherent shape, but pass map wise, yeah, just not a whole lot going on there. That's that's very positive. Um, and you have it in the notes here. We were just kind of hesitant, and the passing, even under very little pressure, the passing was you know, ten yard passes. We were misplacing, sloppy turnovers all over the place. Um, didn't do ourselves any favors, and of course, you know, a Liverpool side desperate to get a result in a match like this that's huge for them. Um, they were. I didn't even think they were that great, but we made them look great at times, especially in transition. Yeah, and, and it's funny. They didn't create as much as you would have thought from kind of the, I call it the half court, to use an American basketball term. Um, but you saw in their pass map, same type of thing. You know, they stacked Trent and her, you know Henderson on top of Salah, and that was the difference. Shade Fabinho over there, that's fine. Now, the one thing they do that's different is like when Firmino is in there, he kind of drops into space and acts as more support. In this particular alignment, you've got two pretty good goal scorers in Gakpo and Nunez now off the ball looking for the service. So that can be pretty tough to deal with. I still don't think they know how to use Gakpo yet. I I mean, he's a left wing to me. A lot of people say, oh, he should play down the middle. I think that's his future. I think they're nuts. He should play left wing and just be at left wing, Um, especially if they're going to be kind of in the final third a lot with possession. But today it didn't seem like it mattered. They got everything off the break and that's where they nailed us, James, really. And and that shouldn't have been a surprise. And some of it was a little fluky. But uh, anyway, before we get into the timeline, too, let's take a quick break for some words for our sponsor. And we'll be right back and in getting into the match. All right. We are back. Let's get into it, Ryan. Try to move semi quickly through this because, you know, after a couple goals scored. By Don't Liverpool, relive the pain. Yeah, exactly. 100 percent. Like we come out the gates. OK, Anfield not known for its uh, super vicious atmosphere, but they always seem to amp it up a couple notches for Darby. Well, it's known for it, but we, for those of us who's been there, we know it's not, it's not quite as advertised. I mean, everyone knows that that's been there. I mean, come on. It is a complete illusion, but they do sometimes get a couple cheers going. Uh, And really they had reasons to cheer early because it was basically all Liverpool. We were hoofing it every single time, almost up to Sims. And we already talked about how that was going. So they were pretty dominant, tons of possession, able, you know, not really able to, break us down but they did have a couple of moments um and also a lot of fouling going on early i think there were like 12 fouls in the first 15 minutes or something like that well and and you thought the way the game was kind of playing out you thought maybe it just kind of felt like a zero zero a little bit and obviously anyone at everton would have taken that um 
Well, although it is the Premier League, so you figure some things are going to happen. Like there was that foul on Tark in the tenth minute that gave them a ripe free kick opportunity that just wasn't a foul. I mean, he barely, he didn't touch him. And Nunez kind of fell over him. Um, thankfully, they put the free kick into the wall. The seventeenth minute, they had a pretty big chance. That was kind of that strange play where they went with a quick throw and crossed it immediately over to the other side. And Nunez did this kind of aerial volley cross thing and Gakpo just missed a header wide that would have been a heck of a goal but it was still a pretty big chance but other than that that was pretty much it um until the 36th minute and you want me to recount this one or do you want to do the favors yeah I mean I'll I'll get it kicked off I mean it starts out with the ball to the back post it's the far post header James Tarkowski I mean we saw it all last week the back post it's good cross it's a great cross who knew Obi could do that I know right Unbelievable. And it's a good header from Tarkowski. He puts it far post, bounces off the post. Um, it comes back out, and Sims has a chance to maybe do something. He lays it off for Dwight McNeil. And I don't know about you, Ryan. I, I was kind of expecting and hoping McNeil would just rip one here. Yeah, it's on his right foot. So maybe that's the hesitancy. That's definitely um, what it was. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think it's very natural in that situation to see the goal, think about it. Still should have given it a go, I think, too, in the air. Because if it does, then it goes out for a goal kick and not a big deal if he misses or play it wide to a Wobie who is still there. I mean, that's a natural thing. Like if you have a little more recognition and he had a little time on it, send it back out to the wide guy. You know, you're already set up there with numbers in the box. Maybe you get offside, but he was on um, and he didn't. Now, in his defense, you could see what he was doing. He kind of fired in and low and DeCorey was making a slight little break. But realistically, I mean, what is he going to do? Like ping it through like five people. So no, I think you got to take one, either chip it back to the far post or rip it high and well, hit it low. It bounced off. Basically, it kind of came to to Nunez, who happened to be sitting right there in the box. So, okay, mistake number one, he flicks it by Coleman here. Now, Coleman does just a terrible job. He comes in and he squared a Nunez, which, Okay, you don't want to be that way if anyone's dribbling at you. But if you're going to try and block a pass, that's fine. But his base wasn't wide enough, and the ball just got flicked by him. Now, here's the second issue. I, I don't know what to do here. So Salah gets it. Ghana's behind him. Now, there's some separation here. Now, Ghana breaks on the ball and starts to head towards him. I don't know if he can wipe him out and prevent the pass to Nunez. That's the thing. Like, maybe he can wipe him out, but I think the ball's going to probably get to Nunez anyway. And if he wipes him out, he also takes himself out. Nunez probably takes off with it. So. Anyway, Salah gets the ball out to Nunez, who takes off. And and people know anything about Darwin Nunez. He's maybe not the most graceful dribbler, but he is fast in a straight line, like absolutely one of the fastest players in the league. A lot of people don't realize that because he's not small. He is dead straight ahead fast. Anyway, so I don't know. Ghana's running with him here, and, and you could tell he's trying to contain him. He takes a decent angle. Nunez is not getting around him for sure. Maybe there's a chance, James, to take him out at midfield. I mean, I... I mean, Nunez doesn't have great control here, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. I think if, if Ghana, and I don't know if he does, like looks over his shoulder and sees the other player, like Liverpool are breaking fast. They've got three guys ahead of our entire midfield breaking. I think that's a play you kind of just have to clean him out. But I also understand you're at midfield. You don't really want to be making tack, taking a yellow when you're level with the guy or you're slightly ahead of him. You, you would hope that maybe you can break things up before then. Um, but for me, in hindsight, obviously, you should have just taken him out and taken the yellow. It's tough to do that because you're at a dead sprint. Um, but, you know, I thought he thought maybe he could just contain him. I think when they did the the shot from behind the goal, there's a lot more separation there than I initially thought. 
So I think there's a decent chance he actually could not have gotten the tackle in and taken him out. I, I think that's my guess. I don't know that, um, but he didn't look, um, which again, like I said, he's on a dead sprint. It might not be the easiest thing to do. And the second he looks, he might go by him. So, okay, whatever. I mean, gone at least is in decent position to make a play here, unlike some of the other people. All right, so so part of the big problem here is that, so I've got a camera shot in this, and I recommend anyone to go back and watch it because it's kind of ridiculous because you've got basically three Liverpool players breaking, and you've got McNeil, DeCorey, and Coleman behind them. McNeil isn't way far behind whoever's at the far post here, um, but Salah and Gakbo are down the middle. Now, Mikalinko is here. I don't know what he's doing, but he's kind of floating and, and goes to the ball side. And I can't, for the love of me, figure out what he thinks he's going to do at that point. So Nunez eventually chips it over him. It's a good pass by Nunez. Mikalenko doesn't come too far from hitting it. It comes very close. And then Pickford also, again, Pickford's in a tough spot here. So I, I can't be overly critical about him. But he makes the wrong choice. He seems like he runs wide to Gakpo because it looked like the cross maybe was going to go all the way through. And Salah just picks it off, hits it one time right into the net. Now, look, the announcers were critical of Pickford saying stay home. I mean, everyone's behind Mikalenko, so I get why he came out to it. Now, that being said, if if Gakpo, if the ball goes all the way through to Gakpo and he gets it and he beats you, fine, so be it. But, I mean, I probably would have stayed home. I don't know what your take is on this. Mikalenko is just, I, I don't even understand what he's doing here. I think him and Coleman are probably the bigger culprits. Um, and all, if all Mikalenko does is kind of just shade over to get on to Salah, then at least you're forcing Nunez to go all the way over you, right. and then Pickford can react to that and play him. At least you're manning up here. The other thing, too, if Mikalenko steps forward at all, Gakpo's offside. So right. I, there's just a calamity of errors. And unfortunately, Mikalenko's positional presence um, off the ball is not good. At, it's been, I've been yeah. pretty disappointed about it. I mean, yeah, that that's one thing I didn't necessarily notice a ton of when, when I watched him before. Um, but boy, it's been really magnified recently. We've been punished for it. What are your general thoughts here? Who are the culprits here and can we do better? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think Mikalenko has to shoulder some blame because you look at it, the still he's got 15 yards of, of space to kind of work with to adjust his position, read the play. And, and ultimately, your goal at that point should be just to make things as difficult as possible for them to score. So I think you take away the closer options and force them to thread one through to the back post, which they're totally capable of doing, but you know, they're capable of pretty good. They're pretty good sides. So they can do some impressive things on the break. And we know that can be their bread and butter. That's what they like to do. So I think Mikalenko shoulders some blame. I think he needs to um, take away the easier options. And I don't know. Pickford's tough because it, there's three guys bearing down on goal on him. Um, again, in hindsight, he should stay home. My, the troubling thing is he's just so off center that if any pass had been completed there, it's going to be an easy tap in. And I think you just, again, have to kind of stay home. But I also understand you maybe if you're the last man, you want to be a little bit more aggressive. So I'm not blaming Pickford too much. I am blaming Coleman a little bit, and I'm putting a lot of the blame on Mikalenko. And, and even Ghana, again, this angle may not be the best, but if he had any chance to make that tackle, I just think in moments like that, when they're roaring at full speed ahead, bearing down on goal, you just got to take them out and not even make it, give them any option to score. Yeah, I, my question is, I don't know if he could have done that or not. But yeah, I agree. If, sure. if he truly had the chance, yeah, maybe he should have. I think, uh, you know, I just, I don't know if he could have done it in Salah and the open field of Nunez, it would have been a tall order. But yeah, I mean, he deserves some blame for sure. But um, he busted his tail back too. So I mean, you at know, least he was gotta, in position. Yeah. Like, 
come on. What is everyone else doing here? It's just kind of a joke, honestly. That's what that's why I sent the tweet out. I was like, people are gonna blame Ghana for this, but you really should blame the other people. At least he's in position to make a play. So I, I guess the big question on this is though, if Tark scores here, what does this game look like? Dr- dramatically different. Dramatically different because this is you know, then all the pressure is on them. Sure, we probably batten down the hatches and, and sit deep and try to absorb pressure for now. That would have been good. But exactly. And that's when they looked so weak because we were pushing for that first goal and we got burned on maybe getting a little bit overly aggressive on a corner. But also, that was clearly going to be our best chances. They were our best chances at Arsenal. So you've got to go all out there. You took a risk. You got burned by a team that's really good on the break. I mean, that I, I really think it's almost as simple as that. But there were a number of errors. And unfortunately, you know, with that back line, um, you are going to struggle with recovery pace in almost every instance when you've got other guys going. You got their strikers against our back line, not winning too many of those battles in this league. We are definitely playing about as slow a lineup as we could. And but yeah, I like the prospect of us sitting on a lead and letting them cross into nothing. I mean, Trent was like one for eleven, Robinson one of five. Those guys can cross, but they had two completed crosses all night. No one else had a completed one. I mean, they they don't look dangerous serving from in the final third. They're they're static. Um, 13 seconds between the post hit and them putting it in the back of our net pretty quick. That was a big change in momentum for sure. And just yeah, change the complexity of the match in 13 seconds. Truly not that I think we deserved some great lead or anything, but, but you know, we're playing for corners. There were times where McNeil would chase someone down and try and ping it off him to go for the corner, which I totally get. And Um, and just because, you know, they're in poor form doesn't mean we're suddenly going to go toe for toe with them smash and grab is all well and good in a match like this yeah it is never win there right and and look and that's why i think your point was that to take a risk and put some numbers into the box and try and score in a set piece is the right way to go uh but look let's be honest i mean liverpool have a massive analyst group um if there's a chance to exploit anything that's static from the other team and clearly they must have been concerned about set pieces considering we scored on one against arsenal and dice is known for that um I think they probably scouted this out, knew it was a chance, and and they took some risk on this as well. And that's what happens, man. You know, both teams take risk. One works out, and you know that's how, as as Ronald Coleman would say, yes, but that's football, um, right? So <laughs> right before half ended, too, there was kind of a strange play off a corner where Nunez has this volley that he just smokes. It was deflected off one of our players. There was a VAR check. I mean, there's no way anyone. I mean, it was too close and the hands were in the body. So no handball. But we get to halftime and it's disappointing to give up the goal. I think the way we did, because it was such a crushing kind of mistake. You know, it was it was not as much what they did is so much as what we did. Um, but it was probably I don't know if it was quite deserved, but certainly they were the better side in the first half. So there's no argument with there. Um, but I have to admit, James, I went in the second half thinking, what do we do here? You know, what adjustments do we make? What are we going to see to try and generate some sort of attack now that we're down? Yeah. And it's a really interesting question. You know, we talk so much about Frank's inability to come out better in the second half and really, and not just to say it's Frank. I mean, the team as a whole has struggled to come out better in second halves, especially when you know we're down we're chasing the game. They haven't been in the lead in a lot of games lately. They're finally growing in confidence. Um, but what he essentially does is kind of similar to what he did against Arsenal, which is to to, to push Decore or Onana up and try to combine with Ellis Sims would be theory what you would maybe want to do, but it kind of just backfired on us more than anything else. I thought it did, and I think the goal is kind of a bit of an example of how it did. Um, 
And really, when you reduce to your only outlet being, you know, hopefully feed it to Alex Awobi and him trying to beat someone, which, you know, it's just not, it's not going to work, especially when there's no one really in front of him. You know, I, I guess it was kind of inevitable. And um, it's just sad because, you know, we have this opportunity in the 47th minute where DeCorey gets fouled on the edge of the box. And I thought this was weird, too. They had McNeil take this as an outswinger. Why is that? All our corners were in swingers. Like, didn't that seem kind of ins- inconsistent to you? Yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't just swing it in swinger to the back post and see what you can create. But uh, yeah, it was at so a hard enough it. angle. You think it would have been the same thing. There's no goal threat there. So right. um, I don't know. I mean, Dice clearly knows what he's doing on these. I mean, it's his bread and butter, but it was a poor service, of course. Um, and and so, look, I'll, almost immediately, Wobi gets dispossessed. I mean, he's he's triple teamed at this point. Everyone knows the outlet's going to be on that side in some capacity. Jumped on Alex Awobi because they're attacking down the right. So the guys on the left are just sitting back and just gobbling stuff up. And, you know, and it's such a weird play here because Ghana is being aggressive here. Gets bypassed on a basic one-two, like bing, bing. But Coleman is so slow, he can't catch Robertson, who's not that fast. I mean, so it's Henderson to Robertson. He takes off. Coleman has a chance to foul him, too, and does not. Seems like that's a common theme. Um, He gets it wide to Mo Salah. Mo Salah kind of pulls up a little bit and... I mean, you've got Gakpo on this far side, and he's just sitting out there. He's the only one really out there. Everyone else kind of pulls up. Salah waits for Trent to come through. He passes it to him wide. Miko goes out to get him, and, I mean, it's a slow, low pass to the far post. Cody, who has kept Gakpo on, and then kind of just stares at the ball and lets it go by him, and Gakpo just taps it in. And the thing is, when I watch this several times, it's bad enough to just let the ball go. It's bad enough to keep him on. Cody never once checked his shoulder to see if there was a player there. He had no idea that there was a player there. I mean, Coleman maybe could have told him that. I, I don't I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's just it's just a terrible. I know he's not a very good player, but like you can't keep rolling this guy out here, can you? I mean, if he's not going to be aggressive and win anything and contribute in other ways. The passivity, James, is what yeah. it is. Well, and, and this just seemed illustrative of it. Yeah. And we talked about it so much. And look. If you're not going to be possessing the ball and you're not looking to utilize the very limited skill set that Connor Cody has, I think as a as a Premier League defender, you just got to be able to do the very basics. I mean, just just in game awareness, positional awareness are the the foundations of what you need to expect from a center half. And the fact that he kind of slipped up and let this one go by, doesn't know where the other the opposition is, where the attackers are, inexcusable in my opinion. And you know the you put it in the notes here, the announcers lauding that pass is genius is hilarious it's just poor defensive play watching the game it's it's a tap in it's it's a good ball but it's it's really more of an error than anything else he just lays it in i mean all cody has to do is stop it he could have turned around had a cup of coffee passed it away or just knocked it out i mean he just didn't even look it's just it's unbelievable i mean coleman's looking at him like what are you doing man and i mean this is some look if the one reason he's in there is to organize the defense and communicate and i mean it's just i'm hopeful well we'll get into a little bit later but i'm hopeful dice realizes very quickly who's just my problem is this if you're going to take over a team like this this is the stuff you should already know and i just i don't know it's uh he's not good enough I, i don't even think it's close so so look um, and the sad part is they almost go three up here where was it Salah that goes wide outside? Maybe it's Nunez, I think, who dances around and then dives when no one touches them again and <laughs> classic gets us in his face. And, you know, and, and he fires one point blanket pick and pick of anything a strong hands. You're not going to beat him if he gets his hands on it for sure, which is actually kind of an impressive skill that you 
don't think about sometimes, but I mean, it just hits his hand and just the noises are like thud, you know, yeah. like, okay, that's not going to work. You know, clearly he was put on the earth to stop stuff with his hand. Nice work, buddy. <laughs> um, so look in the 60 firths here, um, Dice does what he never likes to do, and that's make a sub. And um, he brings Gray on for Sims. So to be fair, I don't think we should have been terribly surprised at this performance. No, not at all. Uh, you're, it's a really big ask for this kid to come up. He was in decent form for Sunderland, getting thrown in headfirst into the Derby. Just a limited performance from him and, and kind of to be expected. I, I just hate to see people kind of piling on the kid already after one match. He's in a really, really tough situation. I'm sure he'd prefer for his own development not to be here right now in the thick of this relegation battle. He's just limited. He's not going to be able to lead the press from the front like Dominic Calvert-Lewin can. He's not going to win balls in the air. Gray is an interesting one because you do really have to dramatically shift how you play if Damari Gray is kind of your number nine in this case. Um, But really, honestly, watching that match 2-0 down, the game was completely over. I mean, we showed we had one or two chances and we'll get into them, but... The, the tempo of the team, tempo of play in general slowed down a little bit, but we had a there were a couple of decent moments, Ryan, from the final half hour, 40 minutes. Yeah, and I, I think the the what's very interesting is that, you know, 17 minutes later he makes the Mope Davies in for McNeil Onana sub, right? So but my question is, well, first of all, I gotta ask this. Was it smart to take Onana off? Why do you think he did that? Onana for Davies, man. That is a, a just golf in quality and a drop down. I mean, and he seemed a little bit surprised. He's like, why, why are you taking me off? Basically mouthing the words you could see that. And he wasn't like livid or anything, but he was definitely curious about it. And the only thing I will say is though, that Dice has a reputation already and it's been proven as we went through it on the pod. He, he likes the older teams, more experienced teams. And I, I don't I mean, Tom Davies isn't a super, grizzled veteran although he is an english player and we know dice favors english players if that's fair or not i don't know again we're he's just... seen some stuff in this everton side well though, I, I think that's fair to say yeah i mean look i think in this sense well my guess is that he was afraid look onato's probably lucky to not be on a yellow already yeah i mean not that it was a violent collision with allison he pulled up but there was another time where he shouldered henderson on the ground which i'm all for it. uh but yeah i just He's young, you know, he can, you don't want him to get suspended or or lash out. It's a derby. It's not like that hasn't happened before. Maybe he saw something. Um, no real reason to have him in there at the time. He's not a particularly great attacking player. I, I, I don't know why you'd sub him off before Decore, but like we've said in the past, it's not like Dukes is Dukes is a good player and and no doubt. So anyway, but I think it's very interesting that he almost felt the need to maybe correct his mistake because when Mopé came in there, no, he wasn't holding the ball ball up incredibly well, but he was at least occupying the center halves much better. And and we had the ball more, right? I mean, we had, what, 84 or 58% possession at least um, after those subs, um, 83% pass success. And like you said, we did have have some opportunities. The biggest one was was the Davies miss. Um, I'll tell you what. It's a great cross by Iwobi. It's he just scoops it and just curls it beautifully. No one, you know, Trent Alexander Arnold's not looking. Tom Davies free header, far post, not the best angle, but certainly needs to do better than he does, which is just kind of like sky it over the crossbar. I mean, that should be headed far post, and it's just a bad miss, honestly. Um, and, and that 
truly, I mean, if you were looking for the slightest glimmer of hope, that was it. And when that didn't result in a goal and two one, okay, ten minutes left, maybe we can, maybe we can get an equalizer. That was it. That was it. Well, um, I'll ask that question now. What happens if that goes in? I I really don't think it changes things too dramatically, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, it I mean, would have been, been nice. interesting. I, I mean. Yeah. I would have perked up in my seat a little bit more than I was, which was like slouched and kind of just feeling despondent. I can't believe you didn't do better than this, Paul, though. I mean, I mean, I can. It's Tom Davies. All you have to do is just head it back to the just. I mean, it's such a slow cross. Like you have all day to walk onto it and Trent just floating on Earth. I mean, my, that guy, he needs, his concentration levels are garbage, by the way. I mean, he just doesn't look like he cares. Um yeah, look, the adjustment was we try to control the ball more, play it on the ground, play it down the middle. I mean, you saw the giveaway by Tark at one point. Well, he made a great tackle had, and recovery. That was a great recovery, but he also had a bunch of really bad giveaways today. Yeah, and Cody looked really slow, but I, I can't bag on him for that. He was on a yellow. Um, and then, you know, in the 85th minute, we have the total inevitable clown show that was going to happen where Robertson keeps dancing with the ball after the whistle, kicks it away, and Pickford bumps him and... Then he laughs in his face as only the annoying Robertson can do. And I, I just, I don't understand why someone hasn't just come from behind and just smoked that guy yet. Um, it, it surprised me a little bit that he gets taken out as few times as he does. Um, but you don't want to take a red card at this point. So I'm glad that no one did anything too stupid. Cody comes in and grabs him, shoves him. And this is where Van Dyke comes off the bench, basically on the sidelines and starts shoving people. I'm like, I, that, that I just think is garbage, man. I mean, it's on the sidelines, but it's not close enough. You shouldn't be on the pitch at all. I mean, if you really want to see, see things get out of control, that's one way to do it. Um, how about Anana trying to go after? Was it Simikas? Is that who Simikas, he's going, yeah. Is that who he's going after? Yeah. Why? Well, I mean, is he? I, I, I don't know, but I like it. I, yeah. I I like our players getting in the in the mix. I mean, it's it's. I know you do. Sucks that it's many people two nil down and the game's basically gone. And that's because you live in the Great White North and you're used to on skates and like the heck. If someone starts losing two three nothing, someone has to drop the gloves. I mean, that's, all right, that's, you're the that's, hockey that's, guy, not me. Don't project onto me. You're the I'm one just, getting in hockey fights, man. I, first of all, I've never gotten in. Okay, all right. <laughs> I can't entirely say that's true, but um, I'm a peaceful man. I don't know what you're talking about. There's just um, never a good way when you're down two nil and you're you know. First of all, Robertson deserved to get punched in the face, but you just can't like entertain that type of behavior because you're going to look bad when you're I losing. Know. And, you know, he looks like a jerk doing it when they're winning, but you kind of just have to let it slide, unfortunately. And I mean, it, it wouldn't be a derby if we didn't have some kind of bubbling over of emotion, but it came late when the game was over. I would have preferred to see a crunching tackle in the early minutes and really set the tone. Awobi kind of went after him one, but I, I was like, wow, Alex Awobi is fire. You tried to take him out right after that too, and he kind of kind of missed him. Uh, and then, God, it's just such a typical moment here right after when Mikalenko just whiffs on Mo Salah and Pick makes a good save. It just That was Mikalenko in a nutshell, just sliding by. It looked like Gordon in the Newcastle game. You've seen like the that was video of that. It's pretty yeah. funny. So, look, I, I think ultimately challenge here, James, is, you know, who who were the good – was there any good performers here? And our Flying Scotsman, I think, has has a good line here. I can't argue with them, really. Yeah, at Flying Scott FM said – Horrific performance all over the pitch. Nobody put a decent shift in today. On to Leeds next in a must-win game. I mean, agree with that. And I think, therefore, our goods are going to be relative uh, to the rest of the team. And for that reason, I did go with Alex Wobie. Um, it's funny because he was 
third lowest in pass accuracy at 70% behind Pickford and Ellis Sims, who were both around 50%. Awobi was 70%. But he also had two out of four of our key passes and was five for eight in dribbles. Um, and furthermore, you know, playing on the right kind of maybe has to in this setup. I liked last week at Arsenal when they were kind of switching. Um, but he also wasn't dispossessed in a game where people were kind of giving the ball away carelessly. Um, I thought Awobi did okay. And again, he's being relied on to do a lot in this setup when guys can't really beat anyone off the dribble. He did so enough today. Yeah. I thought he warranted a good. I mean, he had that bad touch, I guess. Um, we had a call lot of tackle, whatever touches, you though. want. But well, look, I mean, he, he's getting swarmed the second he gets the ball, but it's hard to argue. I mean, what were our two big chances today? Corner, header. That was from Awobi. Again, set piece. So, I mean, you deserve semi-credit on that one. And then the the lob to Davies. I mean, that was yeah. it. I mean, he's the only one that created anything. So I, you got to pick someone. Um, yeah, I struggled. I mean, Ghana. I mean, you could argue maybe he was at fault or partially. I just think I just don't blame him that much for being the one that's in position on the first goal. Uh, the guy made six tackles, six out of seven tackles, four interceptions. I mean, that's. I mean, he was certainly under the guys in the midfield. I thought he was the one that was somewhat reliable. Um, he was really struggling with kind of communication and chemistry, I think, with the back in terms of passing by Liverpool's press. And well, Liverpool's well-organized. Their shape was good defensively, so I get it. I mean, you know, Tark made a lot of mistakes, but he also made a lot of big plays, too. So I thought about him. I mean, he's covering for everyone the whole time. Three out of the four guys I don't think played well in the back line. And I thought he was okay, but I mean, just... There were just some particular culprits on the back end that weren't good that, I mean, <laughs> it's just easier to single out how many bad performances yeah. they were, I suppose. And I, I don't like to pick on people and maybe we should change this segment, but there were a couple of performances out here that just, I, I thought were the difference makers in terms of they just didn't perform well. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you say Tark in the good, because I very nearly put him in my bad. I know. Get well, giveaway passes. But I think that that probably goes, as you said, for most of the squad. Um, definitely leaning more towards the bad side than the good today. I went with Dwight McNeil. He actually put up some okay numbers, but one for six in dribbles is is really jarring. And you had a good tweet about it. He made a lot of decisions to dribble instead of pass, and very rarely did that pay off. It's unfortunate. Look, he's down the left. He's just very predictable down the left when he doesn't have space to run into. When he's got a guy on him, he really doesn't try to cut inside at all. He's only going to go try to go down the touchline. He does a little head fake. Did works okay if you're trying to win a corner. He did that a couple of times, but um, and, and look, his set piece delivery was eh, okay. He was three for three in tr- tackles with 78% pass accuracy, and he had one key pass, but uh, not good enough for me. And you know, look, I see people piling on him again. I'm not piling on the guy. That's unwarranted. He was whatever McNeil Eno last week, and now he's terrible again. I just can't stand that sort of. Uh, duality up and down up and down but wasn't his best performance today i mean i think we saw how important he was to covering for for michelinko last week yeah and we saw when he couldn't get back and do it or had to deal with trent who you know he had trent had the assist but was the only thing he really did for the most part all match so we clearly helped in that regard but michelinko got torched so you know at, at yeah i thought he made some bad decisions james i think that was it there were times where he dribbled where he should have moved the ball and um you know, lesson learned, you know, he's still not an old player, but I, I think that did cost us a couple times for sure in terms of, you know, I mean, I always pick Say on Cody. It. So, well, I, I mean, I'm just sorry. I mean, the second goal, he was awful. And look, he actually took care of the ball pretty well today, you know, he did. And, and I think that's why I wouldn't, he wouldn't necessarily be my number one bad, but again, he, you know, one interception, two clearances, one block shot. He does nothing. He had a yellow. That's the thing. He's so passive. 
You just can't keep running them out there. I think it's such a problem. We can't keep clean sheets. I mean, last week we did, and I just don't think that's going to be a recurring <laughs> series, you know, it's something that's going to happen. And I te- I'm afraid because I think the poor teams have matchup problems still against him. I mean, what are we going to sit back deep against Leeds? Can you imagine this guy playing against Leeds the way they play? I just don't think you can do it. Uh, but but I would say Mikalenko was the one today. I mean, yeah. So there's a balance to this. Okay, he was dribbled three times. All right, led the team, tied with Cody. I mean, how does Cody get dribbled three times when he never goes in on anyone? <laughs> think about how bad that is. Cody was zero for three in tackles. <clears throat> what is it exactly you do here? Um, yeah, I mean, look, and at least Mikalenko took made six attempts at tackles he had four interceptions i mean he's three or four in long balls a couple times he did get rid of the ball and do it pretty well but i mean him trying to stop salah i mean mo had like six shots three on target three dribbles i mean he was fouled four times he clearly couldn't handle them now that being said i think andy watt has a good point here james if you will indulge me on this one it's a fair angle right i mean yeah, it is. It is. And I know Andy listens to the show and he's always had some very insightful commentary. So he said, can I add a vent? Yes, Mikalenko was an overpay. Yes, he's limited. But when you isolate a fullback 1v1 in space, bad things happen, particularly facing Salah and TAA. That's literally what every coach wants to do to a defending fullback. We've been spoiled with Baines and Dean. And yeah, Mikalenko, one-on-one defender. Look, defending is his relative strength as a player, but and he, and he did well against Saka last week, but you can only go for so long before you're going to get caught out. And he got caught out against a very, very good player today. You can't deny part of the stopping of Saka was Arsenal were poor and that McNeil was there to help. Yeah, um, th- there's no question about it. So, so look, again, you said reality check. I mean, to summarize kind of how this went, um, I got accused of being negative today, which... You know, well, I've had a lot of people actually being very complimentary of of the pod that we're trying to be rational and we're not as negative as you might have thought at times. But I mean, look, I'm negative. So let's put this within context right now. All right. We got a club that is debatably the worst team in the Premier League. Maybe not, but certainly close. We're in the relegation zone. We had a relegation battle last year. Um, we, We fired our coach and should have done it earlier. Totally screwed up the January window. Didn't buy anyone. And we just got... I mean, smoked maybe is, is a strong word, but just lost at Anfield and they're completely out of form. Not that I thought we were going to do well. So I think if not being critical now, I, I don't know when you would. Uh, so I think you cut us a little bit of a break. If we sound a little negative, I mean, you know, things aren't exactly going well. And uh, you dropped in a snippet here that I mean, can you really accuse someone of being negative if that's the state of play? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't. It, it's crazy, and it, is, it was a great win against Arsenal. But crazy how much that just sort of provides that short-term boost, and people are all of a sudden content with everything. Look, this is from uh, the Google summary of the match. Since the start of last season, Everton have lost more Premier League away games than any other side, nineteen. While they've also won fewer games, three, and points, seventeen on the road than any of the 17 sides to have played across both campaigns. So look, the away form, we know terrible, diabolical. It's no good. I don't think very many people were expecting a point and our listener comments kind of reflect that or reflecting any points, uh, getting any points out of this, this fixture, but we did get the, the kind of really lucky and deserved three points against Arsenal when 
again, two weeks ago, we were in the pit of despair thinking we're going to maybe be rock bottom and stay there the rest of the season. And we played really well against Arsenal, too. That wasn't we did play great. Totally. Um, And so I think Andy Cieja has a at Schmub has a good kind of one to kick off our listener reactions as a good one. And very fitting for the tone of this show, which is my reaction is that we shouldn't overreact. We would never do such a thing. We would never overreact. Starting Sims was unlikely to work, but we were unlikely to win at Anfield, even with DCL. We need to not start with calls of Bench Michelenko and Ghana or silly stuff like that. Just get points from where we should. Also, Bench Cody. I like how he says, (laughs) let's not talk about benching guys, but definitely Bench Connor Cody. Well, I think you got to make some changes in the back line, and I will get to that in a second. So, um, yeah, NorCal Toffees. Definitely looks sloppy today. Not much to be happy about, but if you would have told me when Dyche got hired that we'd get three points from Arsenal and Liverpool away, I'd have been ecstatic. Leeds match on Saturday will tell us whether or not we need to panic. Um, yeah, that's the big one, really. Um, because yeah. when you look at the table and you look at the teams, okay, which team do we really have a chance of finishing ahead of? Wolves and West Ham are close points-wise, but I look at the talent on those teams look at Wolves manager and I think, yeah, that's going to be a tall ask Forest maybe, but they're, they're six points ahead of us right now. And that's, that's a decent climb. And so is Lester and Lester's loaded with talent and Forest has a lot of talent too. If they can figure it out, these teams aren't oh, like totally out of reach, but look, we did all these teams a favor by losing to them in the last month. So that leads match is really important, you know, cause that's the one team you look at and you think, well, you know, they don't have a coach yet. God knows who that's going to be. Chris Armas. Wow. Like that's, cr- that's crazy to think about. Um, when I used to remember watching him play for the U S national team, um, just bizarre. That's the one that you kind of think would be the most obvious out of all of them. Um, they seem to lack a goal score right now. And that, that matters. Um, they've got a young keeper. That's really inconsistent at times. You know what I mean? I mean, those are, those are recipe for potential disaster and, and really, I, I subscribe to the idea we just need to focus on ourselves and continue to get points. Um, but yeah, this one, I didn't think we were getting anything out of it either. So uh, sorry if that sounds negative, but I just kind of assumed that's what it is. And and I think that's Paul's point here, too. Like, I know some of us are really happy about the performance, like you said, against Arsenal. But I mean, come on, man. Look at the side where it's on the pitch on the other team. Yeah. And Paul gets a spot on here for me. He says, regardless of their form, Liverpool are still a vastly superior team to us. It's that simple. Always hurts to lose a derby, but Leeds is the much bigger game. Our shape has looked better. Just a few errors in certain moments has undone us. Not many sides will punish us as badly. And yeah, I think I think that's true. I think the problem is going to be with that back line getting caught in transition a lot of the time. But if you look at the XG map that we got from uh, Mark R. Stats, Liverpool basically had it was the, the Nunez bicycle assist to the Gakpo, and it was the two goals they scored. Those were their three kind of big XG chances. We did get trounced on XG, by the way, 2.15 to 0.42 roughly. That's big. That's big. Um, so that's kind, of a, that's kind of a thwacking, no, no doubt about it. But again, they had those kind of three big chances. They converted two of them, and so, that's the margins of a game. It, it does. It, it is. And um, you know, so, so I, I guess I'll ask this too. Did Dice get it wrong today? And and so my concern is that coming into a job, I think there's some pretty obvious things that maybe we just think they're obvious because we watch all the time and we really get into it and do a lot of analysis and probably spend more time thinking and, and looking and watching Everton than most human beings on the earth, if not everyone. Yes, we're in the 99th percentile, to be sure. Yeah, yeah we're the 1%. Um, yeah, the so 
Mike at Wombat Combat makes a good point here about Daesh and it's all I've wanted out of Daesh was to stop the rot and leave us in games where we at least have a chance of nicking it no matter how it looks. It's just too early to expect that and they are a vastly superior squad despite form. So he's got a good point. To be well organized, you've got to be well drilled. There's got to be some repetition, some time on the training pitch. I don't think we were even that well drilled and organized against Arsenal. I think Arsenal played poorly, but we got one out of it. So I think there's still opportunity here. My concern is RJ's point. And what do we do about that? Yeah. So RJ Altman said, what's the alternative? Dice ball seems to require a target. Sims, not the answer, but who else is going to do it? If DCL isn't fit for leads, time to get worried. And yeah. And look, this is a lot. I've seen this take a lot. If Dominic Calvert-Lewin's not fit the rest of the season, where does that leave us? And it's, it's a really good question because though Dice talks a lot about, and he's even talked about in terms of foreign players, he's not opposed to using foreign players. He just didn't have the funds to scout abroad, whatever. And he, he's talked about willingness to be adaptable to the personnel. We did not see that today at all. He tried to sub Sims like for like with Dominic Calvert-Lewin and play basically the exact same way. And it didn't work. Wouldn't have been surprising to Ryan's point for anyone who's watched Everton and knows anything about Sims as a player. And the other thing is, and the last time I was on the pod, I missed the Arsenal post-match, but I said when, when Dice was appointed, my test for him was, does he drop Connor Cody? And he doesn't. And he hasn't. So that's worrying to me that some of the very, I think, easily fixable things or easily improvable things about this Everton side, um, he hasn't seemed to do. But that doesn't answer the striker question. And honestly, I don't know what the answer is if Dominic Calvert-Lewin's not fit because, I mean, I think you probably have to figure out how to play with Neil Mopai, but that goes against all evidence of a style of play that we've ever seen from Sean Dyche, really. Right, and so I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to ans- answer that. I mean, certainly Ellis Sims is not going to be able to be a target guy magically, not in the Premier League. Um, he was really and more even if a- that was his And even if that was his style, he's still a young player who's yeah. just kind of had half a se- half season or two in the championship. So to even expect if that was a style of play to be able to make that leap is still a stretch. And it's yeah, not, not even his his profile. Yeah, this isn't we're not hearts playing against, you know, Ross County. Um dumb for, dumb for Ling. Um birthplace of Andrew Carnegie, I believe. Of Pittsburgh fame. Anyway, um I I've been to his house. I've been to that stadium too randomly. Um <clears throat> Anyway, uh, without getting off track, yeah, my concern is, so what I'm hoping is that we saw a little bit of a blueprint of it today when when the moped came on. And look, I don't think it's that complicated. I'll just say this. I don't think it's that complicated. Just don't play the ball in the air. Is that so hard? Or at least on your long balls, play more shallow. I I don't think, I don't know if Pickford can do it, but I I don't think that's that complicated. And I start to look at the teams we're playing again. How many of them have these big bruising center backs that the moped can't hold off a little bit, or at least drag in between the lines and play around. I thought Damari Gray was a slight, you know, good spot today. I mean, I didn't see necessarily the defensive effort, but when he gets a ball, you have to respect him and back off. So I don't know. I mean, yes, it's a big drop off. I get it. And, and, you know, we hired a guy that I mean, is he too system based. I don't know, but you're not totally devoid of possibilities. I think he'd be able to adapt a little bit. Yeah, but I, I do think the problem you run into there is, and we've, we've hit it in so much depth on the squad assessments, is we just do not have guys that are good at progressing the ball on the ground. Like, they haven't really shown an ability to do it. So if you want to play that style, it you're, again, you're almost talking about playing a style that doesn't suit the 10 other guys on the well, pitch. 
you can hit him with the counter. Striker. I'm not suggesting that don't we play need off to the counter. Yeah, of course we have to. I'm just saying the way to do it is not necessary. Look, he's he's all about keeping the one guy up there as an outlet, but it doesn't have to be an aerial outlet. I mean, you could hit him in the channels. You could do different True. things to at least get the ball and win it just by a, a, a second or two of time up there to then spring the counter together. Um, he just needs to work on it. I mean, that's that's really how it's got to be for better or for worse. Um, so Mark Christopher has a point here. And, and I think at Mark C eight, five, six, and that is hoping Dice is less stubborn than Frank. The defensive discipline was mostly good the first half, but I have no idea how Everton chase a game. And that's my concern. Like, can we come back down? If, if we're on a, if we're down a goal, can we come back? Uh, in theory, in theory, we can in practice, we haven't seen, much out of this team, either tactically or just terms of, you know, resolve. I mean, we came back very early on this season and that was kind of it. Uh, we haven't seen that much, for lack of a better word, fight from a losing position to come back. It's really just, and obviously, you know, the palace last year, blah, blah, blah. Um, in terms of Deich being stubborn, I mean, you know, you heard rumors that he's a harsh but fair kind of guy. I think personally, tactically, how stubborn he'll be, personnel-wise, how stubborn we'll be or he'll be, I think we're going to have to find that out. I don't really think we know because we know what he did at Burnley, but we, he, this is kind of uncharted territory for him and he's going to, he's going to have to be flexible and he's going to have to adapt. Otherwise I, I really think that we're going to end up uh, in a pretty tough position for the rest of the year. And I don't know whose fault that is. Is it recruitment or did they not have the ability in three days to turn around and get someone in or were they put under restrictions and couldn't spend the money? I mean, who knows? Um, but look, no matter what, I mean, Sean Khan's got it right. This team will struggle when going down first, but do well when up. So I think we know that. So state of play is going to matter. So his point is, think this performance had a lot of players that dropped a level from Arsenal, but also had nothing going in the final third. Mope needs to start next game if DCL isn't fit, an absolute must win against Leeds. So the point is that you've got no choice. So adapt or die, my friend. And as far as I'm concerned, that we've seen that the moped can play in this league and score goals. If that means you got to team up with someone else up there and not play exactly with the target, make an adjustment or two, you got a week. And it yeah. has to happen. It just has to. I mean, so um, I don't care what you do, um, but I would find it hard to believe that any manager worth their wear isn't capable i mean lots of other teams do it isn't capable ultimately of making enough of adjustment to generate some offense or at least control the game outside of the ball defensively without a guy who's six foot two up top i mean i'm sorry other teams do it so i just but in his defense if you hired him and he you knowing his system and you didn't give him the players to to play it i mean that's kind of on you you know what i mean like totally you needed someone that's more adaptable why didn't you hire one Speaking of hiring and leadership and uh, those in positions of power at our beloved club, uh, we did have the entire board apparently showing their face at Anfield. Unbelievable to me. They're too scared to show up at Goodison, but they'll make the stroll across Stanley Park and show up at the smelly Anfield, infamous for its horrible, pungent smell. And How the, is that the bobblers. In what In what world does that make it? The bobblers nailed this one. This is... Yeah, he's so the Bobblers, Dave said uh, at C Bobblers 1878 said, ah, okay, mad how one side of the park is deemed unsafe and the other safe. Strange one. We'll have to consider that next time walking my dog at the weekend. And that was in response to the picture of Bill Kenwright at Anfield. Um, that just absolutely reflects the disgraceful state of the club and the, the dereliction of duty from, from the board, in my opinion. Too scared to show their face and take, look, 
there's no question they're going to take some abuse if they go. So I kind of understand the aversion there, but you got to have some courage. You're a leader. Lead. That's that's what you got to do. I, I just I mean, you run the club. Like, what is your concern that someone's going to shoot you in the head? I mean, that's your security. I mean, I, I just I don't get it. But you think Anfield's going to be safe grounds for you? I don't even understand that at all, frankly. You know, here's the other thing. Kevin Thelwell's at the game. That guy takes tons of abuse. I mean, Marcel, I don't remember Bill getting assault. Look, I mean, headlock, maybe it happened. You know, I get it. Okay. And, and credible threats specific to them. Fine. I don't understand how those credible threats wouldn't certainly extend to right down the road. Now, how does that make any, that makes no sense to me. There's a credible threat on your life, but it suddenly dissolves when you take a thousand steps to one way. What? That's crazy to me. Um, well, it, it's so telling that they've, you know, they've done such a horrible job running the club that they feel safer surrounded by our biggest fans of our biggest rival who have basically just been, you know, we've been a joke to them for however long now. Well, they Plus, are supportive of the job they're doing, I'm sure. Yes, of course. Exactly. So they're there. That, that's that's it. Right. I mean, Liverpool fans support our board more than our own fans do. They want to feel is, loved. I mean, the Liverpool fans are loving the job that they've done yeah. for sure. I mean, look, do, did I imagine Marcel Brands not getting verbally assaulted after a oh, match? I remember that very, very I mean, well. Screaming bloody murder at the guy's face. He was there. He took it. He owned it. Thelwell's at every game. I mean, I, I just, I just don't understand it. Um, again, I, it, I'm not, I'm not going to be overly judgmental because I don't know the details of the credibility of the threat, but I just, I do not understand how you think you're going to be perfectly safe in Anfield and not. I, yeah, it's. It's tough, and it's a tough loss, but onwards we go. We look ahead to Leeds. Definitely a huge, huge match, um, and, and hopefully we can see closer to Arsenal performance than we did today. It is at home, and I think that helps us perhaps more than any other single factor. Just the home atmosphere will be a, a significant boost, and we hope for the best, and uh, I think that'll do it for us. Ryan, do you have any final thoughts? No, it's important to be level-headed. I mean, obviously, we talked in, in our assessment when Dyche came in that the concerns, the real concerns we had was an injury to Dominic Calvert-Lewin because we really didn't have that type of replacement. And our fear was that maybe Sean couldn't adapt. We'll see. I mean, this match is massive, you know, on Saturday. But but look, the truth is, like was said before me, I didn't think we're getting anything out of this game anyway. Um, although I think they have some gaps in their side. It's a very uneven side right now. Um, they can punish teams still. I mean, Nunez, Gakbo, Mo Salah, those are top attacking players for sure. They've got a good keeper um, and they have good fullbacks. And ultimately, yeah, I mean, they're a better side than us. So, um, yeah, you just move on. I mean, it's okay. And, and the game game state's not going to be similar. I don't think there's some blueprint that's been created with how to bleed us. And what's much more important is that we're organized and ready to go uh, next week. Absolutely. Great note to end on. Thanks, everyone, very much for tuning in. Appreciate the support. If you enjoy the show, again, one last request to please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to follow us on social media, link tr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod will get you the links to all of our socials and join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. One last time, those links are in the description. We'll be with you next time following the Leeds match. Hopefully, a glowing victory to discuss. Until then, up the toffees and still sack the board. <laughs>